From Washington, D.C. and around the world, this is Government Matters with Francis Rose. Thanks for watching Government Matters, the only show covering the latest news, trends, and topics that matter to the business of government. I'm your host, Francis Rose. Michael Regas has added another acting job to his list. The memo, the, a memo the Office of Management and Budget released Friday about data center optimization lists him as acting federal chief information officer. He's already serving as acting director of the Office of Personnel Management and acting deputy director for management at OMB. Federal cybersecurity practitioners have a new deadline to certify their following continuous diagnostics and mitigation policy. OMB Director Russ Vogt writes in the new Federal Information Security Management memo for this year that agencies have to implement the CDM Program Data Quality Management Plan by the end of fiscal 2021. Federal News Network reports the rest of the memo is exactly the same as last year. The new Enterprise Productivity App contract at the Defense Department has a lower ceiling because the General Services Administration and the Pentagon provided, quote, landscape changes and refined requirements to vendors. GSA's Alan Hill says vendors responded to the second round of the DOS solicitation with lower prices that cut the total possible value of the deal. FCW reports the original ceiling was $7.6 billion. The reawards worth up to $4.4 billion. When President-elect Joe Biden takes office, some of the top management initiatives of that administration will likely be ones government's already facing now. Improving government performance will likely be high on the priority list for the next administration. Chris Mims, Managing Director of Strategic Issues at the Government Accountability Office. Chris, it's good to see you. Thanks for coming back on the program. I think what is most striking to me as I reviewed some of the conversations you and I have had in the past about management is that when it comes to the issues that you watch, the problems and, and the wins are pretty consistent administration to administration, aren't they, Chris? Absolutely, Francis. I mean, these are, are longstanding issues because they're difficult issues. They're hard issues to, to deal with. Uh, measuring the performance of, of and government's contributions to really complex outcomes is not something that's easy and straightforward. Collaborating across levels of government is not something that's easy. Collaborating across federal agencies is, is very difficult. Cybersecurity, which you mentioned in the, in the uh, news headlines, these are all very, very difficult issues. So it's, it's not surprising that there's continuity and management agenda across administrations. If we think about this, Chris, from maybe a 10-year sphere, that takes us back into the Obama administration where Vice President Biden served. Where have we gotten better at cross-agency collaboration in particular? I'm thinking about the cap goals that the Obama administration um, uh, perpetuated, propagated in the president's management agenda. That was a continuation from the Bush administration. A lot of these things continue administration to administration, but where have we improved in the past decade or so, Chris? Yeah, and this is a very timely conversation to have because we're coming up on the 10th year anniversary of the GPRA Modernization Act, which was the statutory basis for, for the cap goals. And what GPRA modernization sought to do was to bring a more integrated and cross-cutting perspective to federal performance and to get to get the actual use of all this performance information that we were we were gathering. And I think that in that regard, we have seen improvements in two key areas. One is understanding and collaboration that there needs to be an infrastructure and a capacity behind that if we're going to 
to have effective collaborative mechanisms. It's not just something you can, in a sense, throw out there and say, work better together and expect success on that. And second, and there's been obviously additional legislation on this under the Evidence-Based Policy Act, a focus on actually using data, using evidence in order to pinpoint improvement opportunities, finding out what works and applying that data to, if it does work, to scale it. And if it doesn't work, let's go in a different direction and try something different on that. Those are really two key areas that I think where there's been important improvements that have been made. And one important uh, connection that I think one can make between the two pieces of legislation that you just uh, that you, you just mentioned is the Evidence Act included a provision that established a chief data officer's council, and that council is exactly the kind of cross-agency cooperation construct, I think, that you referred to in the Gipper Modernization Act. Very much. And there's been a, you know, obviously over the last 20, 30 years, you know, going back to the CFO Act, there's been a, a proliferation of federal councils. And what we found when we've looked at these is that they are most effective if they're used not just as transmission belts for information from OMB or OPM or, or the central management agency out to the agencies, but if they're used as real problem-solving mechanisms. Agencies have a lot of capacity, and these councils, therefore, should have a lot of capacity. We need to, they are most effective when they come together to solve problems, to identify solutions, to pilot test some of those solutions. That's where we really get the most leverage out of them. We're hopeful, obviously, that the Chief Data Officers Council will, will follow in the pattern of the successful um, councils in that regard. One of the things, uh, this I'm not aware of any legislation, I'm not aware of any work that you and your team have done, although maybe you have done so, but I'm just kind of pulling this out of the air, to be honest with you, Chris. My, my sense from what I, people have told me who participate in this, these various councils over the years is, one, there is a tremendous variation in the effectiveness of the councils individually, and two, there's not a construct now that coordinates the work of those councils in areas where they overlap or areas where they, they should be collaborating, that the agencies are getting better within an individual agency, the four, five, six, seven, I guess now, uh, members who participate in those councils collaborate better within an individual agency, but there's still not a great forum of dialogue for the CISO at this agency to communicate with the CIO at that agency and so on. Is that potentially the next force multiplier here? Some kind of construct, maybe OMB runs it, that, that coordinates a, a knowledge transfer among those CXOs? Absolutely, Francis, and in two parts. Is that one on the first part of your question? There has been unevenness of the councils over time. In fact, and even individual councils have gotten effective or less effective over time. What it all depends on, as I was saying earlier, was the the vision that the central management agency has for the use of that council. Is it just to transmit information, transmit guidance, or is it a genuine problem solving? And, and that's how you also then begin to get buy-in from the senior leadership of the agencies. In terms of the coordination among councils. At times, it, you, you, you're absolutely right. At times, they have mirrored stovepipes within individual agencies, where you know the human capital will talk to IT and 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 data officers and procurement only if they're called upon or if there's an obvious nexus where they have to come together, rather than looking for strategic opportunities at the outset to partner. There's a variety of mechanisms that could be used to to help on that. Obviously, the President's Management Council is is one of those, although they often have a lot of policy issues on their plate as well. But certainly, looking for synergies across the management issues is going to be the next great force multiplier. There's never enough time to talk to you about all the stuff I want to. We have 30 seconds left, Chris. What drives that? Is that something that somebody at OMB in the new administration should take up as a cause, or is that something that Congress should mandate or something else? 
it's probably a, co a combination of things. Obviously, that uh, I mean, I, I work for the, the Congress, and so I mean, uh, the Congress, either through oversight or, or statutory changes, could certainly be a, a key factor on that. We'd like to see OMB uh, lean on that, but I would say also a lot of that needs to come from the agencies. There can be both a, a push and a pull on this. Is that they're obviously very, very thoughtful career officials and agencies that have been working these issues for a lot of years. They need to be continuing to raise their voices, looking for the synergies, looking for the partnerships, and pointing those out to the political leadership. Chris Mim, it's always great to have you on the program. Thanks for joining me. My great pleasure, Francis. Take care. Up next, a new contract. Track your retirement. Straight ahead on Government Matters, the Thrift Savings Plan, trying to make your life and its operations easier. Federal Retirement Thrift Investment Board's record-keeping services acquisition contract is official. The new project will focus on providing customer service and secure record-keeping for the TSP. Kim Weaver's Director of External Affairs, the Federal Retirement Thrift Investment Board. Kim, welcome. Thanks for coming on. This is a big deal, it strikes me, because you're, you're doing a lot here for the services that you provide to your participants. What's encompassed here and what's the backstory, Kim? So currently the FRTIB, the agency that runs the TSP, we serve as the integrator. So we have a contract for record keeping, we have contracts for call centers, we have contracts for the service bureau which processes forms, we have a contract for special legal processing which uh, processes things like death benefits and divorce decrees, those sorts of things, and we serve as the integrator. This contract will have Accenture Federal, who won the contract, do all of that. We will no longer be the integrator. Um, they will be the service provider. What's the advantage that you gain as the board and that the participants gain as individual participants from this move? It will improve the services that we're delivering to them. Um, they're going to see things like a mobile app, um, a mutual fund window, uh, the ability to do electronic signatures, live chats, being able to start something on the web and have that information move over to a different channel so that you can complete your service without, um, without having to redo it and start from scratch. So there's just going to be a lot of service improvements that we'll be able to provide to the participants. Yeah, I think the mobile app of all of the things that I saw in the solicitation was the one that struck me as the most interesting because you and I have talked for many years now about the idea that you're trying to provide the same resources, benefits, and so on to your participants that a private sector firm would provide to its participants. That's a big deal. I imagine you've been getting a lot of demand from the participants of the TSP for a mobile app, Kim. From the younger participants, yes, um, no surprise, right? We all do a lot of things on our phones and the younger you are, the more that's true. Uh, and so yes, there is from the younger participants a real request for the mobile app. Does this mean anything for the internal infrastructure of the TSP? Is there a transition period that participants need to know about or will this look to them the same as it's always looked? For the participants, it will be um, clear. There will be no uh, visible 
other than the service improvements once the transition is over, but during the transition, nothing's gonna change for the participant. There's an enormous amount of work that has to go on in on our side um, with, with Accenture. Um, we will have to, they will have to set up uh, their, their system so that it mirrors the statute, that it mirrors the regs, it mirrors our business processes. Um, we then have to go in and make sure that the internal controls are right, that the security is correct. I mean, things as little as the data field for us means this. We have to make sure that the data field they've set up means the same thing. Um, then we have to go in and make sure that, you know, NIST and FISMA are complied with. And we have to do all of that before we even start providing them with any live data, right? All of the stuff we're talking about will be done with test data because until the system's set up and secure, we certainly wouldn't be providing live data to them. What's the timeline look like, Kim? I noted in the uh, article in Federal Computer Week that the acquisition process for this started 2018. What's the execution and, and deployment timeline look like? There'll be an 18-month um, transition period, and then the contract has four three-month thoughts. So the, the base three year, and then three three-year periods. If that's totaling 12 years, I've got it right. <laughs> um, and But that's where I wanted to go. This is not just to set the system up for the TSP. Accenture will continue to monitor this. So you're basically able to hand this off to an organization that does this, that, that knows right. how to do this. So to be clear, the TSP is largely an outsourced organization already. Um, SAIC is our current record keeper. They have been doing the, the back end work. And as I said, we've been the integrator. So when payroll offices bring information in, it's going into a system that's um, maintained by SAIC. And that's another big thing. We're, we're big, as we've talked before. We're 6.1 million participants now. Um, and so a lot of data comes in and a lot of data has to be processed. So we have to make sure that the system that is Accenture is running can handle that and process everything in a timely manner. Otherwise, it's not useful to anybody. Um, 30 seconds left, Kim. Anything else at the board meeting this month that participants should know about? Yeah, we also announced uh, earlier this month uh, a second fund manager so that our funds will now be managed by two uh, fund managers. No concerns with our current fund manager, but we just wanted to make sure that any concentration risk was um, mitigated. Kim Weaver, thanks very much as always. Thank you. Up next, open season for federal employees won't be open for long. Straight ahead on Government Matters, how to choose among the right plans for you. Don't forget, if you miss an episode of Government Matters, you can find it on our website, govmatters.tv. We'll be right back. Open season is officially underway. Federal employees have until December 14th to choose a new health care plan if they want to. And there are lots of options to choose from. Walton Francis is a consultant and health insurance expert. He's author of the Checkbook Guide to Health Plans. Walt, I 
teased you a little bit before we went on the air. We've been doing this, you and I have talked about open season for a long, long time. And one of the things that you educated me about early on is the scope of the landscape is enormous and people should narrow down as quickly as possible, shouldn't they, Walt? They should. There's no reason to delay. And uh, it's an easy thing to do, actually. It's amazing how people sit down and spend half an hour uh, to look at their plan choices. What's the way to, to try to get that the scope down from 200 and some plans, I think it's 250 some that OPM's offering this year, down to maybe the 10, 15, 20 that are the right choices for somebody to consider at least? Yeah, well, number one, there's only in any one city or metro area, maybe 30 or 40 plans, so about uh, 40 in the DC area. Uh, but that's still way too many. Uh, so what I recommend you do, well, the first qu thing to do is check the plan you're in to make sure it didn't, something bad isn't happening next year. Uh, and you get, you download a copy of the plan brochure from the plan website, the OPM website, or the checkbook website, and uh, get, just look at the brochure, section two, how does the plan change for 2021? And uh, there may be some good news or some bad news, but at least check to see. Uh, think about your health situation um, and look up in the brochure. Anything, if you plan to have a baby next year, you better look in the brochure to see how the plan treats maternity coverage because some are free and some are not. Is that the major thing that people don't think about, Walt, is the fact that I like my plan, I'm going to just stay in my plan when they do change, premiums change, the coverage areas change, sometimes even deductibles change, all those kinds of things. Is that the major mistake that you think people make? That is a major mistake. It's, there's another one, but that's that's a major one. For one thing, suppose your doctor leaves the plan. It isn't in the plan network next year. There's a little bit of homework you need to do to be sure that you're not making a terrible mistake by staying in that plan. But the other mistake people make is not even looking at the possibility that there may be a better plan out there. And there almost always is, okay? Out of those 40 plans in the DC metro area, what, what makes you think that the one out of those 40 that you're in is the best for you? And people don't realize it's not that hard to narrow your choice down. Um, just any number of simple ways. You can look at plan ratings from either OPM or checkbook you can look at the plan zone website. Uh, most of the big carriers have three, four, five plans uh, that, that you can compare just from that one carrier. If you like Blue Cross, look at all the Blue Cross plans, including the one you never heard of, Blue Cross uh, FEP. Um, if you like GIHA, look at all the GIHA plans, including the one you never heard of, GIHA Elevate. Ditto for Kaiser, ditto for, for Aetna, and ditto especially for United Healthcare, which seems to offer uh, more new plans every year than anybody can count. And I guess the idea, if, if my plan's changing from year to year, all the other plans are changing from year to year. So one that you might have looked at last year or the year before that you wound up not choosing may be changing in such a way that makes it appealing this year, right, Walt? Yes, absolutely. And it's not, it's either a substantive change or a relative premium change. Suppose there's a plan whose premium hasn't gone up for three or four years. Your plan has been going up 5% a year. Well, that, that introduces a big change in the relative cost of those two plans. And if you don't look to see if there's something else out there that's a lot less expensive, you're never going to find it without looking.
if I want to keep my health insurance the way that it is, I look at the plans, I look at the other plans, and I like what I've got, I'm going to keep rolling with that. I still have the option, don't I, to be able to change my uh, dental and vision and the other options as well, right? Oh, yeah. There's an open season that covers not just health insurance, so that's the big item, but the FedVIP plans, which are dental and vision plans, uh, and uh, setting up a flexible spending account is a really important thing to do for almost everybody, and only about 25% do it. Uh, if you are in Medicare and are even thinking about any of the Medicare choices you have, and there are a lot of them, uh, the Medicare open season ends December 7th, so it's got a shorter deadline than the federal employee open season. We have about uh, 20 seconds left, Walt. What do you advise people to do to start? Is it checking those websites and looking at brochures? Uh, yeah, any people have different search techniques, but going to your own plan website, but what I really want you to do is go to some other plan website. So there's an easy way to do that. Use the checkbook tool or the OPM tool, or just look at the ads you see on television. Think of, let something spark an interest in you. I ought to check that out, okay? Oh, I never knew about that. Uh, again, premiums, you should not decide on a plan based on its premium cost, but, uh, but for all, by all means, look to see if there's a lot lower premium you haven't checked out yet. Walt Francis, thanks very much. It's great to see you again, my friend. Nice to see you. I'm Sharice Hanner. Government Matters is always one click away whenever you want to get the latest in the business of government. Like us on Facebook, subscribe on YouTube, follow us on Twitter, and connect with us on LinkedIn. While you're on the go, tune into the Government Matters podcast on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and TuneIn. In tonight's event spotlight, Gain 2020, the government marketing conference is going virtual this year. You'll learn how to reach your remote government prospects from the industry's brightest minds. Gain will also host training workshops and more. You can learn more and sign up govmatters.tv slash events. Conference is already underway. You can get content online through Thursday. That's the latest from Washington. Join me weeknights at 8 and 11 on WJLA 24-7 News and Sunday mornings at 10.30 on ABC7 to stay plugged in on issues that matter to the business of government. Thanks for watching. I'm Francis Rose. Thanks for listening. Our daily program is produced by Sharice Hanner and Ashley Gallagher. Christy Marriott leads our technical crew. Our web editor is Beatrix Haddon. Government Matters was created by George Jackson. Visit govmatters.tv for articles, videos, and more, including our first feature-length documentary, The Dawn of Generation AI. Government Matters is recorded at WJLA-TV in Washington, D.C. Copyright Sinclair Broadcast Group.